Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Stephen Curley will join us to discuss the In My Hands. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. the Grok's Science Show. Well, cancer can be devastating on not just those who have it, but also on families, friends, and co-workers. It's, well, the new book, In My Hands, by Dr. Stephen Curley, explores many of these stories. The author, Dr. Stephen Curley, was formerly professor and chief of surgical oncology and Duncan Comprehensive Cancer Center associate director for clinical affairs at the Baylor College of Medicine. He is currently the Oncology Institute director and chief of surgical oncology at Christus Trinity Mother Francis Hospital in Tyler, Texas. Again, he's written the new book, In My Hands, compelling stories from a surgeon and his patients fighting cancer. And Dr. Curley, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Why, why did you decide to write this book? Well, it was my patients who encouraged me to do it. Um, I'm somebody who's always collected stories, taken notes when something interesting happened, or I heard an interesting story or had an interesting encounter with someone. And I would tell these stories to new patients when I met them to encourage them or to let them know other people had shared similar problems, similar diagnoses, to give them a sense of connection. And my patients over the years kept telling me, you know, you should write these things down. These are really good stories. So a few years ago, I decided to go ahead and take up up on their advice, and I did it. In 1971, you know, Nixon declared a war on cancer, and yet why haven't we uh, made great progress? Well, in 1971, of course, President Nixon declared a war on cancer, trying to invoke the spirit of JFK and getting man to the moon before the end of the the decades of the 60s. And that was a far easier engineering feat than defeating cancer. Cancer is an incredibly complex disease and really a set of diseases. And, you know, humans are genetically very diverse. So you can take 100 people with seemingly the same type of cancer And you actually have 100 slightly different cancers in the way they behave. And so what we've realized is that, number one, cancer is a very heterogeneous set of diseases. And number two, it can mutate and change while you're performing treatments on it. And cancer cells can develop resistance to the treatments we use, just like bacteria can become resistant to an antibiotic. So it's a very problematic disease to treat and hard to cure. So what's your specialty? My specialty is in GI cancers. So that includes liver, pancreas, stomach, anywhere in the intestinal system, small intestine, colon, those sorts of things. And, and are these not the most deadly? I mean, it certainly must have some kind of emotional impact on you. Well, it does. And my research over the course of my career has been in two of the deadliest, uh, primary liver cancer and pancreatic cancer. Uh, in some cancers, uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, we've made tremendous progress in the last 20 years. Sadly, in liver and pancreas cancer, we've made just barely any progress. Patients survive a few months longer than they did 20 years ago, but the cure rate is no better than it was 40 to 50 years ago. 
So it is a very nefarious disease and a very difficult one to treat. So uh, it is hard because um, we know that there are a small subset of patients who we may be able to provide long-term survival if I can surgically remove their tumors. But many patients, even after surgical therapy, have their tumors recur and ultimately succumb to their disease. That's a very emotionally challenging set of patients to handle. Because of that, when you have those sorts of patients, I mean, are stories like the ones you collected, are they really instrumental then for helping patients comprehend, come to grips with what they have, and then giving them a way to deal with it? Well, I hope so. That was certainly my intent in writing the book. Uh, as you know, the chapters are very realistic. There are some great success stories in there. You know, patients who had been told, oh, you have six to 12 months to live, who, you know, lived decade or, you know, some, I've got some patients who are 20 plus year survivors now, which are great stories and very invigorating. But there are also stories in there that are very realistic. It's about the patients who try what we might and do all the best that we can, they still end up succumbing to their cancer. And uh, they showed remarkable characteristics in their ongoing attempts to, you know, defeat the cancer, but nonetheless, they succumbed. And so I think it's important for patients to recognize that we always do our best with every patient and we pull out all the stops, but the disease can be difficult to control and can break free of our attempts to treat it. So they need to have a realistic viewpoint going in. The diagnosis like this is harder on, is it harder on the patient or or, or their family? That's going to vary with each individual situation. I've had patients who have kind of taken a very positive, I'm going to beat this attitude while their family sort of falls apart around them. I've had the converse happen. I've had some uh, patient families who were very supportive saying, you know, let's, you know, let's work together on this. And the patient falls into a state of despair and depression. And that's always a frightening thing as a cancer clinician, because I've certainly seen patients who I thought had very treatable disease, who really you could just see sort of give up in front of you. And, and they just sort of withered and succumbed ultimately when we really thought we had some good options to offer. Uh, so I've also seen patients with the opposite, very positive attitudes, somebody who statistically you thought, gosh, this person has probably a chance of living 12 to 18 months and they lived eight or nine years. Uh, the cancer never you know, was totally eradicated, but the patient managed to persevere and survive despite the odds against them. In the training of doctors in general, I mean, how, how much of an emphasis is there then on treating this more psychological aspect of dealing with their diagnosis? Well, I don't think there's much formal emphasis. I think they're starting to be more now. And that was another purpose for writing this. You know, initially I wrote this book thinking, well, maybe this would be helpful for patients. But as I started sharing it with colleagues, I got some very kind and thoughtful remarks about how useful it was to them and how they were sharing it with residents or fellows or other physicians they worked with because they felt it helped emphasize the importance of humanity and empathy in, in treating patients with cancer. And it's not just cancer, it's other chronic diseases. You know, there's certainly other practitioners who have to deal with patients with chronic life-threatening diseases. And there's always an emotional toll on all of us when we're dealing with those sorts of problems. So that actually encouraged me to think that the book could be used in that way. I, I think that you know there's such a volume of science and progress being made in all fields, and that includes medicine and cancer care, that you know we struggle just to keep up in our own fields. And to remember the importance of 
of connection to humans and providing truly compassionate care sometimes doesn't receive the attention I think it should. The book is filled with a number of great stories. I'm, I'm curious if any of these really stand out to you. I mean, well, the first chapter actually is, is one that was a very important early lesson in my career. I was very happy to be in a situation where I had a new faculty position and I uh, was seeing patients with difficult problems who I thought I could help, and I was worried about the technical aspects of surgery and providing great patient care. And I saw a patient who had been told he had six months to live. He had colon cancer that met metastasized to his liver. His medical oncologist said, you've got six months to live. You know, uh, this man was a, a preacher, and he said, you should go fishing. You know, that's what you like to do for a hobby. The man came and saw me, and I looked at his scans. I thought, yeah, this is not going to be an easy operation, but I think I can get these tumors out. So I told him that, and he was amazing. He, he gave me a very eloquent speech on never denying people you know, hope, even when you think the situation may be hopeless, because hope can include just being there for somebody, just providing them comfort and reassurance that they're not alone. And so I performed the operation on him, and that man went on to live another 11 years. Uh, his cancer never recurred. He actually died of a stroke, ultimately. And uh, the funny thing about that story is being a minister, you'd think he'd be forgiving. He really had a bit of a mean streak. Uh, when he would come back for his return visits after his six-month uh, deadline, as he used to call it, he would make me call the uh, medical oncologist who gave him that message, and he'd get on the phone and say, hey, doc, you want to go fishing? And uh, to his credit, that medical oncologist told me, you know, I, I really learned my lesson. I don't tell people I know exactly how long they have to live. I, you know, I'll, I'll quote them statistics if they want, but I tell them each patient is an individual and we have to always hope that our treatments and some combination of modalities will work and help you persevere for a longer period of time. So that was a very poignant early lesson in my career and taught me the importance of really giving each patient the best shot you can. Do you think the same a patient would have had the same impact uh, later in your career, or was it really the right patient at the right time to teach you sort of that seminal lesson? Well, I've had patients who've you know reminded me of that. You know, I've had other people along the line who have come to me and have been told, oh, "Gee, you know, go see this guy. If he can't help you, I don't think anybody can." I've been you know fortunate with some of them to find successful treatments and to have other long-term survivors. That always reminds me of the importance of that. You know, another story in there, another patient that's a remarkable example is a young woman who came to me. She had a cancer in her colon and a big tumor in her liver. And, you know, she was very young, early 30s. And tearfully, she said, uh, you know, I want you to do all you can. I want to see my daughter graduate from high school. And I looked at her and I said, well, how old's your daughter? And she said, three years old. And I thought, oh, wow, high school graduation, that's 15 years away, uh, you know, and you've got stage four colon cancer. So uh, we gave her chemotherapy. I did two operations on her. And about five years ago, I received her daughter's high school graduation announcement. And four, year, four years after that, one year ago, I got her daughter's college graduation announcement. So, I mean, those sorts of stories are energizing and exciting when you see that. And, you know, the fact that I was able to help this woman and provide her with that hope and that level of care is great. Uh, you know, you have to balance that with all of the patients in that same time frame who I tried the same thing, did the same kind of operations, 
And for whatever reason, their cancer did recur and we weren't successful and they did ultimately succumb. That's the frustrating part is why do some patients have a great outcome while others with a seemingly similar situation don't? Is there any insight on that? Seen so many cases, so many, do you, do you have a feeling for when that might be? I think there is an ongoing project that is actually being run by the National Cancer Institute called the um, Remarkable Survivor Program. Uh, they're really looking at tumors and the genetics of some of those patients to try and understand why they had such a good response to therapy. And of course, with the completion of the Human Genome Project and then the Cancer Genome Atlas, we understand a lot more about the genetic alterations in cancers. And ultimately, you know, the popular buzzword these days is personalized or individualized cancer therapy. And that's a little bit of pie in the sky in science fiction right now, but I think within the next two decades, you're gonna be seeing more and more of that happening, where we actually take an individual patient's tumor, do genetic sequencing on it, do proteomic studies on it, and then say, based on your tumor's behavior, we believe the following drugs may work. Now, the problem is a lot of these tumors have genetic defects for which we don't have a drug to use to treat them. So it's going to require development of lots of new therapies. And then you get into the whole issue of a public policy debate, really. How do we afford that? How do we pay for these new drugs to be developed? Some of which may be only used for a small fraction of patients. But I think in theory, we could get to a point where we could be more directed specifically to a patient's tumor's genetics de genetic defects. How did the patients react when you tell them uh, some of these stories? They really take them and run with them and work for you? And how does it work for them? Well, I, I've never had a patient who disliked the story. Um, you know, they all are, are kind of encouraged by the fact that other people have, have gone through these things. Uh, some of the stories uh, in the book actually are, have a funny turn to them or a funny note. Uh, when I wrote the book and uh, it was going through the editing process, I actually got a call by one of the editors for the publisher saying, I have to tell you, this is an extraordinary book. She said, I was crying one chapter and then laughing the next. And she said, I never thought I'd read a book about cancer that I was laughing. She said, but some of your stories about patients and some of their exploits and the crazy things that happened to them were really funny. And so I, I think that's another important point that I emphasize to my patients is maintaining an upbeat attitude. I've seen patients use humor and, you know, lightheartedness and exercise and all sorts of extraordinary things that you wouldn't think of when you hear the word cancer to help them in their journey through their treatments and their follow-up care. Because even the survivors will tell you, you know, they have to come back for follow-up visits. And every time they go back, that fear returns. Am I going to get bad news? Has the cancer come back? And until they hear the news, everything looks great. You know, then they can relax, you know, relax and a sigh of relief. But it, it is a disease that affects someone for the rest of their life. It affects everybody around them, family, colleagues, coworkers, you name it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're running slightly out of time. Maybe you have some final words regarding some of these stories in the book. If people are interested in uh, getting a copy or, or learning more about you, uh, where, where can they go? Well, they can get the book at uh, Barnes & Noble or barnesandnoble.com, uh, Amazon. 
uh, has the book. Uh, I have a blog that's just uh, drstephencurley.blog, where I have some other stories that I've told, similar kind of things. Uh, also a website, drstephencurley.com. And um, in terms of, of, of final things, you know, what people ask me all the time, do I ever think we'll be rid of cancer? And the answer I tell them is not unless we learn to you know, change our behaviors. Unfortunately, many of the cancers that people get are related to our own things that we do that aren't particularly wise from a health point of view, things like smoking or overeating and not exercising enough. And, you know, we put things into the environment that are probably not the healthiest things to be in our drinking water, et cetera. So I think we, uh, as a species, need to do a little bit better job of uh, being mindful of those things. Preventing cancer is a heck of a lot better than treating cancer. Uh, well, we were just talking with Dr. Stephen Curley. Uh, he's the author of the new book, In My Hands, Compelling Stories from a Surgeon and His Patients Fighting Cancer. And Dr. Curley, I want to thank you very much for your time and for joining us today on The Grok Science Show. Well, and again, I appreciate you having me. And that's all for this week's edition of The Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.